Would you please pray with me as we open up God's word this morning? Lord, we are grateful for this letter that John wrote to the early church was as, as relevant today as it was first penned. And we ask, Lord, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have for us today as we could recognize the lies of our culture and the truth of your word. Now, Lord, we ask that you would think through our thoughts, that my lips would be your lips, that you would bend our wills to your own and you would take every single one of our hearts and set them on fire with great passion for you, Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're continuing our series this week. We're going to take a, a break for next week, which is Pentecost. So wear your red. We don't want to miss the, the message and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of our lives. We're going to talk about that next week a little more. It's in this text too today, quite frankly. And then the following week when the bishop comes is Trinity Sunday, which is another feast day. My son always goes, you dad, you've got, Anglicans are always having feasts. What is up with you? Uh, to which I say, well, you should be one too and you can join in the fun, you know. <laughs> and so we're going to take a couple weeks off and then we'll come back to 1 John. But we're going to be here in 1 John today uh, where today... Coming off last week's text where Scott brought a wonderful exposition talking about let us not be like the world. Let us not buy into the world's worldview and thinking. Um, and we come today to where he starts to define specifically what's going on in the first century church. <laughs> Quite frankly, it's also in today's church as well. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. If you're a guest with us today, you can find the text in the back of your bulletin. Because John is giving us a warning. He's telling us the lie from the truth. And three, he gives us a solution of how we may not be deceived. All right? He issues a warning. Know the truth and the lie. And third, he gives us the solution about how we might avoid being deceived. First... He gives a warning ahead. So he says in verse 18, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, know that it is the last hour. He starts off with the word children. It's the same Greek word he used in verse 13 when he says, I write to you children because you know the Father. These are babes in the faith. He's directly addressing those who are young in the faith. So if you're, you know, 15 and younger and you haven't been catechized a lot, this is for you. It's also for you 95-year-olds who are still in the same place you were at 15. John is making that point. You can be young in the faith and be old as a, older as a person. So just like you warn a five-year-old not to run into the street to chase a ball, John is warning the church, but especially those babes in the faith. Because babes in the faith don't realize the danger of the false views that are before them. And what does he warn them? Number one, the Antichrist is coming. And two, that many Antichrists have already come. What does Antichrist mean? Well, it means an attractively deceptive individual 
who also the Antichrist will also is totally opposed to Christ himself. And so he says that the hour is coming, right, as you have heard before, that the Antichrist is coming. It's the last hour. And if it's the last hour when John first wrote this, how closer are we now to our Lord returning? That's what he's talking about. And before the Antichrist comes, John writes in his revelation to the church that this Antichrist is wonderfully attractive to the world, but yet he's totally opposed to Christ and will deceive many in the church. Now that's the Antichrist. But notice, he doesn't stop there and he says, but, but, so now many Antichrists have come. Meaning, any worldview that is against Christ is an Antichrist. They might be very attractive, but they're Antichrist. And so in John's day, he, he's noting this because the church is losing members. People are buying into this worldview that's going around in the first century, and the church is no longer growing. This is, again, the second or third generation of the Christian church. So he says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. In other words, they're losing members and some people are wringing their hands. We won't be able to pay our bills as a church. The vestry is going, oh no, what are we going to do? And John says, take a deep breath. John is saying it's more important that the truth be maintained, that the truth be professed, and the truth be held up in its purity and integrity than it is for the church to grow numerically. Now, I ought to say that, especially in a place like suburban Cleveland, when a church grows, everybody looks at it and says, oh, that's a happening place. That's good. Something good must be happening there. And John says, not necessarily. In fact, let's put it this way. There's an old saying you often have heard me say, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you'll get neither. That's Christian teaching. It's very close to Jesus' words in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And John is saying if you decide to put church growth above church truth, if you say the important thing is to get the people through the doors, uh, therefore you have, to, you have to change the truth a little bit to make it more compelling to the ear. You have to fudge on the truth. You have to hide the truth so you'll be popular and people will come in. And what will happen is you'll get neither heaven nor earth in the process. And give it time, it'll, it'll fold Look at the seeker-sensitive churches today. 25, 30 years ago, that was the way to go, right? And everybody took these large PV speakers and put them on the Lord's table so everybody could see. Right? You know of what I speak. Everybody thought that's the way to go. Where is that today? It proves what John is saying here. If you put growth over truth, you end up getting neither. And what's happening in this early church is they have neither. But if you put truth over growth, you'll end up getting both. Why? 
Well, in the short run, you might have, you know, some people leave and it might be tough. But if you really care about truth, there will eventually be a kind of growth. <coughs> and therefore, if you have a group of Christians who put truth first, they have a passion for the truth, which means they embody it in their lives. They live consistently with it. And they weep and they sweat over thinking, how can I get this truth out? How can I have people around me know the liberating experience that I've been through? If you're weeping and sweating over how to get the truth out, you're embodying it. If you really put the truth first, you'll get growth. But you put growth over truth, eventually, maybe in the short run you'll have growth, but in the long run you won't. And that's the warning John wants to give to us. There'll be a day of accountability. There's a day when the Lord will return for his church. And ideas that are deceptively attractive and opposed to the good news of Jesus Christ are going to pop up. And John is saying, grow up, mature in the faith, and recognize that all those who call themselves Christians are not Christians. And that not is not a mean-spirited thing to say. Okay? I've had people, Gene, you shouldn't say that. Why? John does. All right? You know, it's like a vegetarian restaurant with a sign, Texas Roadhouse, outside. And you come into it, and it says steak. And they give you some vegetarian meat slop. <laughs> right? That's what John is saying spiritually. So John then gets very specific about what this church is teaching. And so we can recognize the truth and the lie. Verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you had heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. What was being taught in some segments of the ancient world in the late first century when John wrote this is the heresy known as Gnosticism. It's from the Greek word gnosis, to know. And it was a secret knowledge they taught that only we got this knowledge. And this is not the word that he uses in verse 20, because he's writing to the church. And he uses the word here, oidos, to see clearly. 2020 vision, he's saying. I don't, I'm not writing to you. You get it. I'm writing about them. And what's going on there in the church is that they are not accepting Jesus for who he is. That Jesus is not fully God, fully man, as Christian doctrine is teaching. Because the Gnostics were teaching some form of Jesus 
is the Christ only, the Christ is the divine being that descended upon the human man, Jesus, at his baptism and fled before his crucifixion. Therefore, Jesus was a great guy, but he wasn't God incarnate. He wasn't God in the flesh. So come over to our small group and be part of us because we got this secret knowledge. And the point is, they wanted to stay in the church and still hold that belief. And evidently, John stood for it. Other church leaders stood for the truth of the revelation of Scripture. And as a result, a bunch of people left the church. How are we going to pay our bills? John says, let them go. It's false. It's a lie, he says. They were taking the vocabulary of the Christian faith and pouring their own definition into the words. So it sounded like Christianity, but yet it was not. Well, how about today? Well, we know what this is all about. All the mainline Protestant churches of our land today, 125 years ago, bought into liberal theology, it's called. The idea that modern people can't believe in supernatural anymore, miracles, therefore we're going to have to change. Oh, we'll still wear the robes. We'll still read the Bible. But we're going to get the supernatural out because if we don't, people won't come anymore. That was the thought, right? And John says, that's a lie because that's not who Jesus is. And that has evolved into what I would call progressivism. I don't call it progressive Christianity because it's not Christianity. It's progressivism. And progressivism says, oh, Jesus was real. And he, he died and he even rose again. But he's not the way, the truth, and the life. Because you know John had an agenda. The other gospel writers don't write like that. Don't talk about that phrase. Well, what about Luke in Acts 4 when Peter says, there is no other heaven name under heaven by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. No, progressivism is a lie. And they couch their ministry all in sexual ethics. You know, they're all very politically motivated in the LGBT community. And John would say, nope. That's a lie. And they hate the true gospel. And this is all not to mention the cults of our day, the Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses. They're a lie as well. And there's so many more. I, I could keep going, but, but you get my drift, right? And John is dealing with Gnosticism. Well, there's Gnosticism today in those things. They just take Jesus and either add to it as the cults do, or subtract from it, as liberalism and progressivism does. It's nothing new. It's exactly what they do. And it's a lie. The truth is that the doctrinal core is that Jesus is the creator of the universe. And God came in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who became a weak human being and lived and died, who rescued us, who were beyond hope. And he returned from beyond the grave, and he ascended into heaven, 
and is now seated at the right hand of, of the Father as our mediator and advocate, which we celebrated on Thursday as Cody was ordained into the diaconate. And I don't know about you, but that's good news. And what John is saying here, if you deny that, it's not just mistaken. He's not saying, oh, you're mistaken. Let me show you. No, he says, you're a liar. What he says is, is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a man as the Antichrist, he that denies that the Father and the Son are part of the Trinity, are part of the Godhead. He's fully God. And that's a strong thing to say, isn't it? It's pretty strong. Most people I know who have, who have listened to Christian doctrine and heard the gospel here across the West Shore, most say, oh, I, I believe Jesus is God. I believe Jesus is the Christ. But they don't live it. They don't surrender to him as Lord, right? What would John say about them? Ah, you're mistaken? No. He would say, you're lying to yourself. This is who he is. John is actually saying this particular doctrine, Jesus is God, has come to rescue us because we were beyond hope. And he says, when you hear that doctrine and you don't surrender completely to it, submit to it, you're lying to yourself. And you know that's true, he's saying here. You know it's true. It's a great story. And who doesn't love a great story, huh? We all love great stories. And the best way I can illustrate this as a great story is to look at J.R.R. Tolkien's essay on fairy stories. He wrote an essay called On Fairy Stories. I commend it to you. If there's one person who knew how to write a good story, it was Tolkien. So we might as well listen to him. And he says in that essay that the good news of Jesus Christ is the great eucatastrophe behind all stories. Eucatastrophe. E-U, good. Catastrophe, bad. The great good and evil story of all stories that all stories point to. It's beautiful. A eucatastrophe is a story in which good comes out of evil, life comes out of death. All stories that are good and evil, life and death, are a reflection pointing to the great story. And that's the story we all know is true. Therefore, it's kind of like medicine you give to your kids. I mean, no kids like medicine, right? So what do pharmaceutical companies do? You know, your kid goes, I don't want that. It tastes like a cherry sucker. And you give it to them, and they say, okay, and they take it. And what do they think it is? Candy. And they drink it down, and you go, ha! <laughs> because consciously it's candy, but the body knows that it's medicine. And the body responds to it as medicine, and the body draws the truth out. And the body gets better because of the medicine. And that's what Tolkien is saying about any story of good and evil, right and wrong. Even though you may be putting God at arm's length, maybe you struggle with his lordship in your life. Maybe you struggle with the idea of living 
surrendering all to Jesus and living unto him morally. Maybe you struggle with the idea of hell, miracles, heaven. Your mind thinks it's candy. But keep coming back. Keep coming back. Because your soul know it's, knows it's true. And all great stories tell you that. There's a love that overcomes death. There's a character that is more important than money. And we're all moved by such stories, right? And Tolkien says the heart of Christianity is the teaching that all these stories become historical fact in Jesus Christ. He's the reality to which all myths point. I mean, think about it. Beauty and the Beast. Love that, that it was the first different technology that Disney did was the, the cartoon Beauty and the Beast in the early 90s. You know, my granddaughter, I call her Belle for a reason because I love Beauty and the Beast. Why do I love Beauty and the Beast? Because Beauty kisses the Beast and suddenly, suddenly his ugliness falls away and he's transformed. Is it historically true? No. But it points to an awesome reality. All stories, be it Hercules, Oedipus, well, Hercules didn't exist. But those myths, those great stories point to an ultimate reality. And, and, and we allow ourselves, you know, we go off to university, OSU, OU, Kent State, and we're taught deconstruction. We're taught there is no meta-narrative, no great narrative across human history. There's no such thing as truth, and we believe it. Everything is relative. I can live my life any way I want. But then you go see Beauty and the Beast, and you think to yourself, oh, I hope that's true. I hope there's a transforming truth. I hope I don't stay the same for the rest of my life. What's going on? Because your mind says it's candy, but your soul knows it's true. There is a love that can cut through all the prisons and all the dungeons that sin has created in me. We are bewitched under sin. There's an evil sorcerer. There's a supernatural. There's a prince who can kiss us and wake us up from the dead. There's a beauty who can love us and break us out of our prison of sin. And when Christians read those stories, they know that one thing you have in the gospel is not one more story pointing to the awesome realities. The claim of the gospel is not that Jesus ascended into heaven, and that's not just one more story pointing to an awesome reality. Jesus Christ is the awesome reality to, all, to which all these stories point. The gospel is the truth. And this is the truth we know. And so we must respond to it one way or the other. He's either Savior and Lord or he's nothing. So when you deny the doctrine by doing the Christian life in your way rather than the biblical way, you're denying what you know to be true and you're lying to yourself. When Christian parents are sitting with their kids, when I was a little kid, my dad would read the Superman comics to me. And I would say, Daddy, 
wouldn't it be great to fly like Superman? And he, my dad wasn't walking with the Lord at that time. He says, yeah, we just don't fly like Superman. But that would be great. My boys would say to me, Dad, wouldn't it be great to fly like Superman? I would say to them, one day we will. <laughs> one day we aren't going to grow old. And doesn't that make you leap for joy? Doesn't that just excite you? But if you're just self-defining for yourself what a Christian is and not surrendering all of your life, you're like Robin Williams in the movie Hook in the early 90s. All these great stars. Julia Roberts is in it as Tinkerbell, and Maggie Smith plays the older Wendy. It's a great movie. Dustin Hoffman is Captain Hook. He's good as an evil hook. And Robin Williams is Peter Pan, and he's forgotten who he is. He's got amnesia. And if you're self-defining what the Christian faith is, you're Peter Pan with amnesia. The great thing about that movie is at the end of the movie, he remembers who he is. And he can fly. It's beautiful. But it's pointing to a greater reality. And what does the gospel say? All those stories are pointing to a greater story. And you're lying to yourself unless you see Jesus is the Son of God and your life conforms to that reality. You know the truth. And only as you receive him as both Savior and Lord, the truth will set you free. Walk with us. So how do we do that? Well, John doesn't leave us there. That's the great thing. He gives us a solution. And the solution is very simply... Abide in the truth. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you like those Gnostics. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You see... In Jesus Christ, you have anointing, which we're going to talk about next week, in the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He anoints us. He regenerates us. He rebirths us into a new creation so that we walk out of here as new creations to show God's kingdom has come. It's not the Pentecostals thing that you're anointed. No, you're anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it helps you recognize the truth. And the Spirit of God has come to you and makes you feel the power of the truth. And the way you know that the Holy Spirit is working on you isn't just that you walk out of here and say, well, wasn't that interesting? <laughs> that preacher, you know, what he said was interesting. No. You know the anointing of the Holy Spirit is working on you when, when you find these truths disturbing you convicting you. They grab hold of you. They start to work on you. You feel like something has got hold of you at your center of your being. And you say, I surrender. It's true. It's true. There's only one hope. And you feel the power of the truth of Jesus Christ for you. Do you feel that now? 
Are you sensing if this is true, this, this changes everything in my life? If you're sensing that, if you feel like that something has grabbed hold of you and not just tickled your intellect, but grabbed your heart, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is working on you to show you the truth. Praise God. It's not the quality of our faith, it's the object of our faith. Tim Keller. No, my friends, let us listen to everything the word says and let's apply that abiding truth. So let's apply it, shall we? Here's, here's some practical points of the sermon. Number one, how do you abide in the truth? We abide in the truth through the word of God. First, you meditate on the word. You don't take what I say at face value. <laughs> you chew on the word. And that word meditate is, is reminiscent of a cow chewing her cud. And she's meditating on it and meditating on it and swallows it. And a few days later, spits it back up and chews on it again. And you meditate on it and you swallow it and you chew it back up and you keep going. You keep thinking about it throughout the week. Yeah, it's gross, but it works. Meditate on the word of God, and it keeps coming to you. And it's an amazing how all of a sudden when you meditate on it, you find yourself memorizing it. Number two, you become a memorizer of God's word. Take your business card and write on the back of it and put it on your, your, uh, your dashboard or your car. Or a three-by-five card. Take a spiral-bound three-by-five set and just keep them all together so they're not going all over your house. And put it on your dashboard and allow the Holy Spirit to bring it to your mind as it's needed because he will. It'll come to you. You're driving. I, I make it a practice that I, I don't turn on the radio when I first turn on the car. I have my text that I'm memorizing for the week, and I keep memorizing it until I get out of Avon Lake. It's about five minutes, you know, from my house to get out of the Avon Lake borders, whether I go into Avon or Bay. And it just has really helped me. And so I, I commend it to you. And the Lord will bring it to your mind as you three mention it. You meditate on it, you memorize it, and then mention it to others. Start with friendly people to the faith. <laughs> I would commend you. Share it with your spouse or a good friend in the faith about how the Holy Spirit's instructing you through his word. Just share it. Share it with one another. And then as God gives you opportunity, you can share it with the world. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit brings to mind passages that you memorized years ago. You may not exactly remember the reference. Well, don't worry about that. You can look that up later, you know. But try to get the reference down. But the whole point is you know where it's from. And as we do so, we will be able to abide. And what we can do is we can speak it not only to them, but to one another. To build one another up and edify us as the body of Christ. Friends, let us abide in the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your table this morning, we ask that you would help us to see that this truth is eternal life. This is the promise that you made to us. 
And therefore, Lord, let these truths about Jesus, his, his being created in the universe, his birth, his death, his resurrection and ascension really sink into our lives this day. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.